Hey guys, and welcome back. Super excited to dive into today's episode. Really quick before we get into the episode, definitely take an honest assessment of where you are in your application. Are you getting interview invites but not getting accepted? Are you not getting interview invites at all? The reason why this is so important is because this gives you a very clear indication of what you need help with so that you can clear the hurdle and get into PA school. If you aren't getting interview invites, there's something going on in your CASPA application that needs correcting. You can sign up for our CASPA app review and editing, where we edit your entire app, including personal statement editing, then meet you on Zoom for an hour feedback session. This is how you get unstuck from not landing interviews. We will figure out what the problem is and get you back on track. On the flip side of that, if you are getting interviews but not getting accepted, there's something about how you are answering your interview questions or how you are interviewing that needs correcting. You need to do a mock interview to see where you're going astray and how to correct it so you can get accepted to PA school. You can learn more about both of these services in our episode notes, so definitely go check that out after listening to today's episode so we can help you get interviews and get accepted to PA school and finally start living your dream career of becoming a PA. Now on today's episode. Welcome to part two with Ruth Balweggs, physician assistant and inspiration interview part two. And I know you have been the recipient of both the STED Award and the Lifetime Achievement Award, and you were the first female recipient of Kofi award. So just want to say congratulations to that. And can you tell our listeners a little bit about what those awards um, are? So the Stead Award, which is from the APA, really, I think, so So the first person that got that was Harvey Estes, who was the second in command at Duke. And the next person was Jim Colley. And then me, and I can't tell you the whole list of people since then. But it was really for uh, overarching contributions to the PA profession, because I think, I think it's it, we all do what we do in our institutions or our states, but you know, how do you impact the greater world? And that was really that is what that award is about. And that, and similarly, I was the first recipient of the APAC PAEA's similar oh lifetime achievement award. And I think what they both of those awards really acknowledge moving across the boundaries. So and. Not just so, not just in your school, but within your state, within the government, within the federal government, within internationally now that we're working on international stuff. And uh, in other words, how can you, how can you, how can we, how can all of us have the biggest impact that we that we possibly can? In in my particular case, of course, medics, medics in Duke. I think anybody who is in a leadership role knows suddenly of course, had a lot of visibility just by the position that they were in. But there were also, there was also a lot of other, other important work to do. So at one point, the federal government, for example, had something called the Primary Care Health Policy Fellowship, and it existed for about 20 years. And uh, what they did was that they chose 30 different people from different from the different primary care fields, and they took us to Washington, and we couldn't figure out what the hell we were doing. I think I was in the second class, <laughs> uh, right behind Ann Davis, who was uh, worked with all the state government stuff for the APA. But anyway, we couldn't figure out what the hell we were supposed to do. But it turned out that first of all, we were supposed to develop bonds with all these other professions, which many of us had, and then we were supposed to. It turns out that if you work in the federal government or the state government, there's limits on what you do, what you can do with that's not 
you know, appropriate or inappropriate. And so they need outside people that know how the federal government works. So I was one of those people of the 30 people, and, and then another person was Carl Tony, who's in Maine now. Anyway, um, and so uh, that was fascinating to spend, and, and they took us to Washington, D.C. I think we were there three months, and then we kept coming back, and we kept coming back. But, but the cool thing was we were all friends with each other. So there were family docs, there were nurse practitioners. There was, so there was one of all of us, you know, you get the idea. And then similarly, there were a lot of other projects like that that a number of us got involved in. Uh, so that's just the one I think is the best example of this. And so these awards were really, and are really about stepping outside. In other words, I, I think, I'll just say something about nursing. And I have a sister who is a nurse, so I don't mean nursing in general, but they tend to sort of stick with themselves. They don't wander out and try to change things. And the point of this fellowship was, which by the way, was very much what I learned from my father with the Air Ambulance. You know, who can you get on your side? Who are the people in the community you need to be on your board of directors? Who, who do you need as we're trying to? And the, by the way, this came in handy, uh, just as one example, when the AIDS epidemic broke out. And it turns out a lot of us that were involved in these, in these um, primary care health policy fellowships over the years, we, we jumped in and we still do jump in for needs uh, that are cross-professional. Cross rather than saying, well, nurses think this, or doctors think this, or PA think, who gives a shit? You know, we need to all be working together on this. And so that's, I think, kind of a, a theme. It's, it's, a, it's been a theme of my profession, uh, my personal profession. And, but I also think it's how we get things done. And there's quite a network of people that actually behave that way and think that way, which is pretty damn exciting. Well, you truly are an inspiration. What would you tell aspiring PA students and current PA students? Well, uh, to have a bigger picture, to not just think about, I mean, clearly, if you're a PA student or you're a new, a, a new baby PA, you're, of course, trying to get your feet under your ground and stability in your career. But, you know, it's all about who you know. And that makes it much more rewarding, I think. I'm not just talking from a power point of view. But our patients do better. The more we know everybody who's in the hospital with different kinds of specialties, we don't just stick with ourselves. And I think that's uh, true. It's also where some of the best rewards are to see, you know, what's really happening, how we're happy, you know, how people think about it. We don't have to all think about things the same way. But we can advocate for the same things, if you know what I mean. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Sure. Well, you have laid the foundation for the success of the paid profession. You've been a trailblazer. You have this huge legacy. So our last question is, who is Ruth when the white coat comes off? Uh, I'm a troublemaker. <laughs> 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 and, and that's a good thing, I think. I say that in a positive Wherever you are, I, I think PAs, um, it, it's really funny, uh, Ken Harbin and I just did this videotape, which is about the history of, or the overview of PAs in the Netherlands, uh, which he worked on, you probably know. But anyway, and the, the Netherlands PAs, I'm, and they are the most 
you could say extroverted, but I mean, wherever you want, you go to a conference and it won't be more than five minutes before you find one of them. <laughs> anyway, and, and I think, I think that as PAs that, whether people see us as PAs or whatever, I mean, I think we're, we feel responsible in a good way. I feel responsible in, for whatever's happening, you know? So we're, I think we're going to intervene if we're in, my kids used to drive them crazy when we were growing up in Ashland, Oregon. And we would go to Safeway, and people would come and bring their kids to me in the produce aisle and want to show me their diaper rash. And then my kids would run as fast as they could the other direction. <laughs> but, 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 um, and I would try to say, well, let's look at that another time. But, but the point is, I think, I think PAs. My idea of the perfect PA is willingness to get involved in whatever happens, you know what I'm saying? And that's clinically, of course, in the settings that we're in. But on the street, uh, you know, right now we have all this politics stuff going on. How can we, how can we make a difference? And there's like, that's a long list and an exciting list. And it's good to be visible, if you know what I mean. Not not because we want to take credit or whatever, but when I think about my career, I've done, a, I think, a good job of connecting people up so they could get stuff done, you know what I mean? And I think, again, back to my dad's air ambulance system, he had, he had, when he created it, he had 12 of the most powerful people in Medford, Oregon, including the mayor, whose name was, get this, Diamond Flynn. It's not a great name for a mayor. <laughs> but, but, the head of the, but the head of the orchard people, the, the three most powerful people that were heads of the lumber companies. I mean, these people knew how to get shit done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, I think we have to, I, I think PAs are in a unique position to try to get things done because I really think we're more approachable. That's what we should try to be anyway. And most PAs that I know are like that in their communities. So, and and then if, if you're a woman, that's even uh, more interesting. I, you know, I had thought about being a, a, a physician, but I couldn't do it. But I actually, because of family issues and funding and so forth. But I actually think I've accomplished so much more as a woman PA than I would have as a woman physician. Because it turns out docs, especially back then, were very competitive and, and frankly shitty to women doctors, but but women PAs we just kind of acted like they were old. They, we were their older sister, you know what I'm saying? We we just didn't get into that crap, and as a result, we got a lot more done. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. What are you doing now? Well, I'm theoretically I'm retired, but that's the still that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm working on the development of PAs internationally. And I actually am a consultant to the NCCPA, so they pay me to do that. Is that not cool? Well, and, and you know, and the interesting thing is they don't have to look exactly like us. I think sometimes the mistake is thinking if they don't look like USPAs, they doesn't, they're not worth shit. But that's not true. They need different skills in different places. Absolutely. Including people often make the mistake that there is a U.S. healthcare system. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard because... Healthcare and how it's organized is very different on the West Coast than the East Coast and whatever. So, former students of ours that we taught, they're like going out to New Zealand 
and we know that they're developing some key programs out there, so that's uh, really big news. I did a uh, study abroad in England at UK. I was one of the first, I was the first student at my PA school to do like a switch program where their students came here and I went there for rotations. So we have a lot of connections to mm -hmm. England. And then we've got some PAs that we know of in Canada that we keep in touch with. And so there's so many countries that, you know, have already started the PA profession. They might call it something different, as you said, and that theirs might look a little bit different than ours because their community needs are different. Um, but we just want to help expand that, and so we really hope to to get into more of that in the future. Good for you. That's that's a good agenda. Right now, the main places I'm working are in New Zealand. So I had a, a conference. So I think I told I can't remember where we several sentences ago. I'm I'm a consultant to the NCCPA and international stuff. So which means I get to sort of make that up. And of course, nobody's traveling right now, but I will get back to it. But the main places I'm working. Recently, or mostly, are New Zealand, Australia, Israel, India, and Ireland. Okay, so can I just say that you are like such an inspiration. Look at your stories when you were kicking butt, like way back when, and first female trailblazer, and now you're here, like working internationally. Like you are just such an inspiration to us because this is exactly what we want to do, and we're just so so well, glad good. that you. Well, good. That, that, it, it's fun. And it's interesting to see, you know, what can happen, what the problems are, what the good news is, you know, and, and, and I think I kind of got involved in, in international stuff because of Dick Smith. And Dick Smith is at the root of a lot of things, a lot of projects that a number of us can, have done. I mean, Ken Harbert uh, views Dick as one of his role models as well. He worked in 66 countries before it was all over. So fascinating to see so good for you there but there's unlimited amount of work to do there you go we won't we won't run out of, of things but i do think that in each country it has to be sort of specific what they're doing so for example in in uh, i had a project funded by the carter foundation and i basically rewrote the healthcare training for sudan and interestingly enough, they don't have any GYN stuff they do. There's all kinds of things they don't do because they don't have resources. They don't have any mental health stuff. In Africa, you probably know there's one psychiatrist for every million people. Lots of good stuff to do, so good on you. There really are no limitations on what we can do. Not, I mean, except for money and resources and stuff, but in terms of, in terms of the remaining work that needs to be done, oh my goodness, you know. We're not going to run out of cool stuff. Back to what I'm doing. I'm doing this, the international stuff for NCCPA. I'm also the historian for the PA History Society, and uh, which is very fun. Um, and then I'm working on a variety of international stuff. So all of which is just an example of what can happen. This was so inspiring. You're such an inspiration, not only for us, but for, for all of our listeners. Is there any last words that you wanted to say to our listeners? Well, I think I think the important thing is, you know, while being a physician is pretty well defined, I mean, for example, you know, you you have to decide at a very young age what your specialty is and what you're going to do. But the PA profession is wide open. You know, people can change specialties across time. They can be innovative across time. And to me, that's what I especially like about it. It's a chance to make a huge difference. Not that physicians don't, but because physicians are sort of 
are not sort of, they are very well defined. They have limits on them. And uh, I think for PAs, uh, we kind of wander out there and see what's needed, whether you're talking about the original Duke and Maddox PAs to begin with or whatever. And so to me, that's what's thrilling. And there are role models out there, like myself, I'm not the only one, obviously, that people can attach themselves to, and we're very interested in investing in change agents. So I guess that's it. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast. We are so excited for your future as a PA and to help you get into PA school. Don't forget to check out our super popular application to acceptance course. This is where we show you exactly how to create your strongest, most competitive PA school application. You can absolutely get accepted to PA school, even with a low GPA or less than average stats, as long as you apply the right way. We show you exactly how to do this and build your strongest CASP application so you can land interviews and get accepted to PA school. In this course, you will find coaching sessions with us, CASPA experience details templates, so you can literally just plug in your information and put it into CASPA knowing that it's super competitive and highlights your strengths, personal statement writing worksheets to quickly write an outstanding personal statement that catches the attention of PA schools, interview question workbooks for MMI and traditional interviews, and direct access to us in a private community to help you through every step of the way. Make sure that you have your strongest, most competitive PA school application so you can land interviews and get accepted. Your future patients are waiting for you, and we can't wait to see you in the course. Check out Application to Acceptance in the show notes. We'll catch you at the next episode.